Welcome to The Cross Church. We're excited to bring you these weekly messages. Find out more about us or contribute online at thecross.com. Thanks for listening. Hey, faith family and friends, Pastor Chris, and we're beginning a new message series over the next few weeks entitled Big Words from Little Guys. Yo, what is that about? Uh, Big Words from Little Guys is a, is a study. We're going to look at four different of the minor prophets. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, you have the prophets. You have some of the big name prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel, some of these that you readily know. Then you have some smaller, lesser known. It doesn't mean that they were less in stature or less in effective. It just means that their, their work, the, their book, was just smaller by way of chapter and by way of, of information. And so I've kind of highlighted four of these minor prophets that I want us to look at the word that they give us. And I feel like some of these words are just incredibly timely for where we find ourselves uh, just as a nation, as individuals. So the very first one that we're going to look at this week is the story of Jonah. And if you have a Bible, you could go with me to Jonah chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk a little bit, read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit. We're going to kind of work our way through uh, the book of Jonah. But, you know, when you think about the book of Jonah, most people, if they don't know anything about the Bible at all, but they've kind of heard a few things, they know the story of Jonah. And what I want you to know is this. The story of Jonah is not really a story about a fish. In fact, it's not really a story about a, a place called Nineveh, which we're going to talk about. It's really not even the story of a guy named Jonah. It's really a story about how God relentlessly pursues us. In fact, in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 13, it says this. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure with him, we'll also reign with him. And if we disown him, he will also uh, disown us. For if we are faithless, look at this. He remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. You know, God is g- going to relentlessly pursue you. In fact, he loves you so much that he's not going to let us get away with it. And I got one message point for the entire series. And then I have one for every individual message. But the one for the series is this, is that obedience brings blessing and disobedience brings a curse. Obedience brings blessing. When we do things God's way, God blesses us. When we don't do things God's way, man, we put our lives under a curse. We put our lives under condemnation. And each one of these weeks that we unpack these stories, I want us to see how obedience brings blessing. And so uh, this this week with the story of Jonah, I want to just drive this home with you. No one leaps into destruction, they drift. Say that with me. No one leaps into destruction, they drift. In fact, you, you think about this. You, you think about this even from culture and like movies, you know, like for instance, in, in Doctor Strange, you had the Scarlet Witch who in one movie is, is a good character, the next is a villain. We have, you know, it's the political season, Right. And uh, there was this uh, guy by the name of Harvey Dent. You may recall him from the Batman movies. Great politician, going to make changes. And then what happened? He changes and he becomes Two-Face. And then maybe the most famous person who, who drifted from good to evil was Anakin Skywalker, right? Who ultimately becomes Darth Vader. But isn't it true in just life in general with people you've known? I've never known someone who who started off addicted to alcohol or drugs or whatever it is, and and they they just went straight to just becoming an addict or an alcoholic. No, it started with the first drink. It started with the with the first experience. You know, it it, it started somewhere. 
I've never known somebody who had a lot of problems with their morality. You know, they just they kind of washed out morally, and it didn't start with with one encounter or or some kind of issue. You see, you you don't you don't leap right. You, you don't leap into destruction. You just sort of drift, and that's what happens with Jonah. You know, Jonah is is a prophet of God. I mean, he knows God. He he understands who God is. His relationship with God, and yet, what we find in the life of Jonah is a man who began to drift. And so the question I have for you simply today is this, what does it look like to drift and where are you? Like, can you say today that you're closer to God than you've ever been in your entire life? I hope and pray, because if not, I want you to see how the drift happens. See, no one leaps into destruction, they drift. Now, I want you to notice only five characteristics of how the drift happens. Drift happens first when we reject God's best. Notice what it says here in verse 1. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amnitai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, whenever you and I decide to disregard God's word, I want you to understand something we experience less than his best. I mean, you do realize that this book right here is not just a, a book of, of prohibition. It's a, it's a book of promise. And so Jonah, um, you got to realize he's an Israelite. And uh, the city of Nineveh was their arch nemesis. In fact, uh, the city of Nineveh today is found in, in modern-day uh, Iran. In fact, you'll notice that there's lots of turmoil going on in that part of the world even as I'm speaking with you. Um, but I will say in that city, that place called Iraq, that there is, a, there is a great revival that's going on among Christians, okay? But it wasn't always so. In fact, back in this particular time, this, this, the, the group of the Ninevites, which housed the Assyrians, were some of the most ferocious people on the planet. I, I would give you this illustration today if, if God called somebody and said, go to Moscow, Russia. You know, it might be a real problem for some people because of all that's been going on with the Ukraine and just the state of the world. And so God tells, tells Jonah, and what's interesting is his name, Jonah, literally means peace, and Amittai literally means this, the son of truth. He was asking Jonah to take his word and to, to go to this enemy nation. And here's the thing about it. God will give you and I a specific word for us at a specific time. And yet, you and I reject God's best whenever we know what He tells us to do, but we don't do it. In fact, we go with our own preference. You know, I'll just give you this example. Um, if I gave you a choice between three different milkshakes, chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, I wonder what your favorite would be. Like, which of those three, chocolate, vanilla, strawberry, right? Which would your favorite be? Well, I'll tell you this, unless you said chocolate, you're wrong, right? Because that's my favorite, okay? Because chocolate is the best. You could have chocolate on everything. Nothing is, there's, not, everything is better with chocolate on it, okay? Amen? But here's the thing, it's my opinion, right? It's my word. Jonah was given a specific word by God. God knew what was best because, understand, God saved Jonah, just like God saved many of you, and God gave him a word and he wanted him to live that word out in his life. And when we don't do that, when we reject his word, 
Uh, we reject his best. He also rejected his authority. He rejected God's authority. Because at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself this question, whose life is it anyway? Is it mine or is it his? And I can understand why Jonah probably had some problems wanting to go uh, to Nineveh, the Assyrian capital there in Iraq, because you have to understand something about these Assyrians. They were barbaric. In fact, uh, there was about a million people that lived there in that city. Uh, but the Assyrians were a brutal group of people. Uh, give me this example. Uh, many times, whenever cities knew they were going to be overcome by an Assyrian army, they would just choose as an entire city just to commit suicide. So they would let thousands of people within cities would just commit suicide as to be taken over by the Assyrians. Why? Because the Assyrians would come in and they would capture the men. Then they would brutalize the women and the children in front of the men. I won't even get into the descriptions of the thing they did to women and children. Then they would take the men, especially the men who had been soldiers, and they would literally fillet their skin off their bodies. They would be skinned alive. They would take them into the desert. They would bury them in the ground up to their neck. Now, understand they've been filleted. Could you imagine what that must have felt like to have that skin, their skin now have that, that sand and all that, you know, just on their body, put them there in the exposure of the sun in the desert. They would take their tongues, they would stick them out. They would impale their tongues into the sand. So here are these, these men who've been skinned alive, buried up to their neck in sand, tongues there uh, pierced to the sand, and they would die like that. In fact, most of the time during the process, these men would go crazy uh, and just waiting for death to, to, to come and, and take them away. And then when they finished that, these Assyrians would behead all of these bodies. And they would stack them up as a, in a pyramid at the, at the beginning gate, at the front gate of a city, and remind people that this was now their city and remind them of their brut brutality. If I was Jonah, I don't know that I would have run to that assignment either. How about you? And yet, here's the thing about it. We have to make a decision that the great challenges of our life, either God is God and he is bigger than our problems, he is bigger than our enemies, he is bigger than any circumstance or situation that we'll deal with, or he's not. And when we relegate his word and we pass over his authority, let me tell you something, friend, we always experience less than God's best. Now, I want you to know something. Jesus didn't die so that you couldn't experience God's best. He died so that you and I might experience his best in every single way. You see, um, no one leaps into destruction. They drift. You see, drift happens first when we reject God's best, but then notice this, when we delay our obedience. It says right here, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, and he went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You know, that's a fascinating little phrase that we see all throughout these first verses. It says right up there in verse 3 that he ran from Tarshish, what, to go from the presence of the Lord. And then it says again here in, in, in verse 3, it says he went away, he went to Tarshish, why, to go away from the presence of the Lord. Do you understand wherever we're disobedient, we go away from the presence of the Lord? I mean, you think about that for a moment. Like you and I, because Christ lives in us, we have the ability to have 24-7 communion, fellowship, uh, relationship to Him. And the way that that continues to stay open and vibrant 
and manifest is whenever you and I are obedient. We choose disobedience. Let me just say what happens. We cut off the presence of God in our lives. We, we say to him, we don't, we don't want you. In fact, here's what's fascinating. Um, obedience recognizes God's uh, ultimate will in our life. And whenever we live out his will, then what we're saying is you really are God and I really am not. And, and Tarshish, you have to understand, at this point in time in, in, in the known world of Jonah, it was the furthest place away in the known world. It was 2,500 miles away from Nineveh. It was in the complete opposite direction. He was supposed to go east, but he decided to head west. And so he, he, he makes, in fact, to actually get from where, where he is in Joppa to make his way to Tarshish, it's going to take over a year on a ship. I mean, this was no small time. And, and Jonah knows this. Jonah knows exactly what God's asked him to do. Jonah knows exactly what he, where he's supposed to be. And he chooses to go exactly the wrong direction. And here's the thing about sin. Whenever you and I sin, we intentionally decide to go a different direction. We intentionally decide to, to walk away from God. And when we do that, here's what you have to understand. Sin will always take you further than you ever thought you would go. You know, that's the thing about it. People end up getting addicted. People end up having all these problems in their life. They can always point back to this single thing where it started. It started with that drink. It started with that look. It started with that opportunity. And here's the thing about it. Um, you always pay a higher price than you ever think you're going to pay. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It's always going to make you high, pay a higher price than you ever thought you'd pay because it says literally right there, not only is he disobedient, not only is he heading in the complete opposite direction where he's supposed to go, but notice this, he paid the fare. Like he put down the money to go on this trip that was going to take him a year out of the way of where God wanted him to go. And he knew it, and yet he did it. You know, I have a, a friend of mine in ministry I've kind of gotten to know and um, really appreciate his transparency. He's overcome a lot. He's a pastor by the name of Perry Noble. And uh, Perry... Uh, was the was a pastor of a church on the East Coast. It was a significant church. And uh, he is a pastor of a church of thousands of people, multi-site, all these kinds of things. Um, he, he got addicted to alcohol. And as a result of getting addicted to alcohol, it created a lot of other problems in his life and his family and his marriage and all these things. Um, but he uh, ended up uh, having to resign his church. Uh, he went to rehab. Uh, he got out of rehab. And the one thing I've always loved about Perry and the transparency of Perry, if you ever talk to Perry about these things, he'll always say, hey, there was nobody else to blame. I poured the drinks. I poured the drinks. And I say that to you because somebody needs to hear that today. You see, you know you're in a state of disobedience. You know that you're going completely opposite the direction God would have you go. And let me just tell you what's going to happen. It's going to take you further away than you ever thought you'd be, and you're going to pay a much higher price than you ever thought you would pay uh, for that particular sin, you know, because some of us think, well, you know, it won't be that big a deal. And what's amazing how drift always makes us think it won't be that big a deal. It won't be that big a problem. It won't affect that many people. Uh, Rick Warren says it like this. He's a pastor, former pastor at Saddleback in California. Often we try to offer God partial obedience. We want to pick and choose the commands we obey. We make a list of the commands we like and obey those while ignoring the ones that we think are unreasonable, difficult, expensive, or unpopular. I'll attend church, 
but I won't tithe. I'll read my Bible, but I won't forgive that person who hurt me. Yet partial obedience is disobedience. Instant obedience will teach you more about God than a lifetime of biblical discussions. Say we don't leap into destruction, we drift. And drift happens when we've already discovered uh, when we reject God's best and we delay our obedience. But I want you to notice this third thing with me. We become slaves of our emotions. Become slaves of our emotions. You know, what do you mean by that? Look what he says in verse 4. So that the Lord hurried a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us and that we may not perish. Now think about this. These are seasoned sailors. These are men who they, they have been on these waters before. And whatever it is that they were experiencing, it was something that was completely outside of their experience. It was something that was scary to them because literally it terrifies them. And they began to lighten the ship's load. And so here are these, these skilled mariners. I, I'll, I'll just say it like this. You know, if, if you're on a ship and you see the crew begin to react in a panic and, and, and they begin to be terrified and you're just a passenger on that ship, you probably ought to have your anxiety level elevate just a little bit because obviously they're seeing something that you don't really understand. But here's the thing about it. When you and I choose disobedience, whenever you and I choose less than God's best, uh, I want you to understand, we live under the weight of that. And, and here's it's depleting. And it depletes us to such a degree that it takes away our spiritual sensitivity. We're not even aware of the things that are going on around us. We can't even sense it anymore. I mean, Jonah is obviously in a situation where the people around him are responding to the environment. And what does it say he does? It says that he goes down into the inner part of the ship and he goes to sleep. I mean, how do you sleep whenever obviously the tempest is raising and, 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 and people are crying out all around you? I'll tell you why. Because this guy was experiencing personal depression. He was experiencing personal depression. And one of the reasons I would submit to you that we have so much, now listen, let's be clear here, because y'all pastors always get in trouble when they make these broad swath statements, so I'm not going to make a broad swath statement. I believe in medicine. I believe you need to take it for your body, if you have a problem with your heart, uh, if you have a cold, whatever. Obviously, there's times you need to take medicine for your brain. So I want to just go ahead and just sign off and say, hey, I believe 100% there are people that have clinical and medical issues with their brains, and it leads to things like depression, anxiety, all those things. Having said that, I will also tell you this, whenever you and I are on the run from God, when you and I willfully and knowingly engage in sin, here's what will always happen. It will leave us personally depressed. It will leave us depressed. Because we, we know what we're forfeiting, and to have to fight off the conviction of the Holy Spirit is, is so taxing. It is so trying. And so make no mistake about it. Like Jonah is dealing with this. And, and, and isn't it true, like we live in this culture that says, uh, trust your heart. One of, my, one, of the, one of the greatest fallacies that was ever given to us was Luke Skywalker. When he's in the, in, the, in the very first Star Wars, 
and he's there in his 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 ship, and as he's in his ship, he's making his way. He's about to destroy the Death Star, and he hears Ben Kenobi's voice come over, and it says, "Luke, trust your feelings." That is horrible advice. That is horrible advice for you and me. In fact, you know what Jeremiah seventeen nine says? It says the heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Like, you and I don't need to trust our feelings. See, this is why it goes back to point one. We have to trust God's Word. When we trust God's Word, we get God's best. But then we don't get God's best uh, whenever we choose to disobey. And then whenever we choose to disobey, look what happens. We become slaves to our emotions. And I wonder if we live in a culture full of people who are slaves to their emotions. They Why? Because you could argue we live in one of the most sinful times in all of human history. And then notice this. Um, he becomes indifferent to others. See, when you're so wrapped up in yourself, he's so wrapped up in fleeing God and doing his own deal and his own rebellion that he doesn't even notice these, these men around him that because he's on their boat, that they are now in the midst of the tempest. They're now in the midst of the storm. And that's the thing about it. We always sort of think, oh, this is, um, uh, you know, this is just going to impact me. No, it does not impact just me uh, it always will impact others, just as this did. And here's the thing about it. He, he was so blind. He, he was so desensitized. He didn't even realize how this was hurting and it was impacting others. You see, we don't leap into destruction. We drift. How does drift happen? Well, we know drift happens in our lives when we live as hypocrites. We live as hypocrites. That word hypocrite is a great Greek word. It means to put on the mask. It was used, it was a word used of the, the actors or actresses of, of ancient Greece. And it was to be to put on multiple masks. And he says this in verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and lots fell on Jonah. And when they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, and this is what's so amazing. Jonah knows very well that he is on the run from God, that he is on the lamb, if you will, that he is where he should not be with a group of people he should not be around. I mean, he is a Jew and he's among a bunch of, of Gentiles. I mean, in fact, in his own people would have called them pagans. And so in the midst of his, his sin... Here's what he has the audacity to say. He says, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Really? Because if you really did all those things, guess what? You wouldn't be on this ship right now. And then the men, it says in verse 10, and the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, what is this you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you? that the sea might quiet down for us. For the sea grew more and more uh, temptress. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know uh, it is because of me that this great tempest has become upon you. Uh, nevertheless, the men rode hard uh, to get back to dry ground land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. And so here, here's the thing. This prophet Jonah, He's in the wrong place, the wrong time, with the wrong people. He's living in complete, defiant disobedience of God. He's now become a hypocrite, and yet he pulls out, well, I'm a Hebrew, I'm all these things. 
And here's the thing. You, you know that you have drifted, okay, whenever you are living more like a sinner than a saint. You realize when God saved you, he, he made you, right, a saint. You're not old. Sometimes I hear people say, well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved from grace. No, you're, you're not a sinner anymore. You're, you're a saint. God, is, God has rescued you from yourself. It reminds me of a friend of mine named Mike who back uh, many years ago, uh, Mike was telling me he was in sales. And as he was in sales, uh, he would have to go entertain clients. And he was active in a church. Man, he was a deacon in the church. Uh, this was a guy who, uh, I'm just telling you, from all everything on the outside, everything looked great. But he would have to take his clients sometimes to what I would say gentlemen's clubs. And I use the word gentleman very loosely. And uh, as he would take them to these clubs, uh, he would walk. He was walking in a particular club one night. He said this, when I would go into these clubs, oh, I've never faced the stage. I'd never see the entertainers, the dancers. I'd always face just my clients. I would never look at the stage, but it was just part of my job. And he said, I knew I was in trouble whenever I walk up to this one particular club one time. And when I walk up, the bouncer says, hey, Mike. He said, I knew at that moment I was living in a way that was contrary to the way God would have me live. He said, so I immediately said, hey, there's no job. There's no amount of money. Uh, that's worth doing this. I'm not going to do this anymore. And so he decided he, he God provided him another job. And, and yeah, it was a struggle to get back where he was financially, but it was worth it for his character and to be right in the center of God's will. And you realize something, that God's made you to live like a saint, not a sinner. In fact, Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, He has put eternity into man's heart. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Whenever you and I start living like hypocrites, it's going to go against our nature. Why? Because your nature is not your sin nature anymore. God has replaced that sin nature in you. God has put in you a desire to want to experience things that are bigger, uh, that are about eternity. And when you and I succumb to things that are lesser, we're always going to be bored. Like you can have everything this world has to offer you, everything you can put in your body, on your body, around your body. But listen to me. When God's put eternity in your heart, your heart will never be satisfied until you are living the way he's called you to live. See, we don't leap into destruction. We drift. And I think this fifth and final uh, point is, is really and truly one of the strongest. And here's why. Because the drift happens when we look up and we realize we're dealing with avoidable consequences. There are certain consequences that happen in our lives that are unavoidable. Right there, I mean, you live in America, and as a consequence of that, every April the fifteenth, you're going to pay taxes, right? Um, man, there's a consequence that as we get older, man, our bodies are just going to change, right? Uh, there, there's some things we can do that that bring about great consequences for us. Man, if we eat right, it can increase the quality of our life. Uh, man, we can work out, we can take care of ourselves. Man, we can save more money and spend more money, and so we can create a positive consequence, but uh, when you're dealing with avoidable consequences, you know you have drifted. Because notice what it says right here in verse 14. It says, Therefore they call out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done this as you pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging, and then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now, here's what's fascinating. Here are these men 
And they, because of just guilt by association, they have Jonah with them. And um, they're, they're torn because I feel like if we throw this man in the sea, it's obvious he's going to die. And, and so we don't want his blood on our hands. And uh, we, we won't, don't want the, cert, the, the consequence that come with taking a life. And, 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 and yet, they said, you know, what other choice do we have? So they hurl him into the sea. They, they, they throw it overboard. They get rid of it. They get rid of Jonah. And then what happens? Immediately, the sea calms down. And here's what I even think even is more fascinating. Here's Jonah, the Hebrew of Hebrews, who's on the run from God. These men, look at this, they actually offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they vowed out. They, they were more worshipers than Jonah was. But they had to get rid of what was on their boat. Some of us are, work, are, are dealing in our lives with some consequences of actions that are totally avoidable because we've left something in our, relation, in our life. Like we've got to throw something away. Maybe, maybe we got to throw away that habit. Maybe we got to throw away that bad that bad thought pattern. Maybe we got to throw away, honestly, that relationship. Maybe there's this person that you just know, you just cannot be around, and it may just be because their influence just makes you do things that you should not do. Um, you 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 got to get rid of it. That's what they did. And here's the thing about it: once you get rid of it, right? then things change in your life. The, the consequences change. And so there's some, there's some things that if you'll just eradicate from your life, it's going to change your consequences. And the fact that those things remain in your life right now, it's, it's if you're choosing, and the, 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 these are totally avoidable consequences. But then I want you to notice as we close with this, the last verse says this, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Isn't that fascinating? They throw Jonah over into the ocean. And instead of allowing Jonah just to die, mist in the sea, I remember one summer I spent a summer on a, on a ship, and as I was on that ship, I was on night watch one night, and uh, we were in the, in the Gulf of Mexico and just looking out in the vastness of just the water, the blackness of that night. You saw that the, there was no, it was cloudy. There were no stars in the sky. There was no moon. It was so dark that night. I'll never forget it. And I just remember thinking to myself, man, if I ever fell over this boat, by the time anybody realized that I was missing, like it would be over for me. And in the same way, when Jonah was hurled over into that sea, I mean, it should have and it could have been over with him. But here's what's so beautiful. God cared so much about Jonah that supernaturally he provided a fish. Maybe it was a whale. Who knows what it was? And he swallowed him up so that God could in the belly of that whale redeem and change this man's life forever. And if you read chapter 2, here's what you find. You find that that whale is just descending, descending, and descending until Jonah repents of his sin. And as soon as he repents of his sin, the well ascends, and he, and, he, and he spits up Jonah onto the shore. And here's why I tell you that. Because God cares more about your character than he does your comfort. And he will provide whatever is necessary to, to make sure that you and I are exactly where He wants us to be. 
You see, if God, the story of Jonah is so simple. If he can't get our attention through his word, he will do it through our circumstance. And so friend, may I ask you, where are you in the drift today? Are you as close to God as you've ever been? Or do you say, you know what? I need to repent. I need to change. And here's why you need to repent and change. Because the longer the detour, the longer the return. Jonah was on his way 2,500 miles away from God. And the grace of God stopped him before he ever got to the end of the line. Friend, I hope you hear me. God is, is, is challenging you in the same way today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, may we be people who are big enough to recognize where we are with respect to you. And Lord God, may we be people who might live close to you. And so I pray, Lord, that we would be able to just repent. Uh, Lord, admit where we are in this process because no one wants their life to be destroyed. No one looks for destruction. No one plans for destruction. And yet it happens so subtly in the drift. May we be people who are close to you and not people who drift away. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.